We are in 1 Peter, or in chapter 2. I want to read verses 4 through 10. We won't quite cover it all this morning, but uh, I want to read it in its context there to us. Verse 4. In coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Our Father in God, what a delight it is to sing these songs and to realize that you are holy, to realize that you are the God before time, that in the beginning it was you who created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. It was you who through your marvelous grace have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And by your grace you have given us the revelation of the word of God and then made it possible for us to be studying it in our own language. Father, there is so much that we ought to be grateful and thankful for. And I pray that we would be a people as we have been theming this morning, a people of thankfulness rather than a people who complain. And I pray, Father, and ask that as we have the privilege of studying the word of God, that you would help us to rightly divide it, to be challenged, open up the eyes of those who may not have yet come to Christ, and might believers be ever sensitive to the spirit of God working as we are changed from glory to glory. Thank you for this opportunity to study, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. For purposes of the DV, uh, tape uh, and the records entitled this morning's message, God's Household. Peter, in this epistle, has been using the metaphor or imagery of a building to encourage, remember, and to strengthen believers. These believers that he is writing to are under trials and under persecution. And as he has been addressing them, in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through our last study, through chapter 2, verse 3 now, as a basic summary, he's really been dealing with the land of the property. I remember when we moved from North Andover over to this particular property, before this structure was here, uh, they had to come in and level the ground. In fact, I remember some of the vibrating that went on with some of the machinery that they had here. 
but they had to actually prepare the land before the structure itself could actually be put on the land. And there were a lot of people who were fascinated as to what was going to go on. Well, Peter, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, has been preparing the ground or the soil for us to lead up even to our text this morning, in, in essence, uh, for believers who are suffering to help them to realize uh, who they are and what part that we have. And I want to remind you that in that text so far, through chapter 2, verse 3, four highlights that I'll give you is, first of all, he said they were chosen of God, just like we came over to this property. This was the one. We researched this, I think, what was it, uh, Pastor, seven or eight years or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it was about eight years we had researched a number of properties and looked at details, and that went on, and this was the one that we chose. Well, God has chosen us, and he's reminded the believers of that. He's been, they've been chosen in him, and thus they are born again. We talk about born-again believers. There really is no other type of believer. You're either born again or you're not, and Born again, he said, you've been born from above. You've been given new life from God. And now they were to live, as we saw chapter 1 going on, they were to live a holy life for God because God is holy. The one who has called us is holy, and we are called to holy living in a very practical way. And we also, as we move down to verse 22 of chapter 1, saw another highlight was, we are to have a love for the brethren, a sincere love, a, a pure love for the brethren, not just express it with words, but it's to be seen in our actions as we represent Christ. And how is that to take place? That's what led us into chapter 2, where Peter was teaching them and laying that soil, if you will. How does that loving of the brethren and that holy life happen? Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, he has told us, get rid of some things. Why? Because the things that he mentions, and you can look at them in chapter 2, verse 1, but the things that he has mentioned and we studied together, those things are divisive. That's what divides the body of Christ, the malice, the slander, the other things that are mentioned. So we have to get rid of those things. And that's why he said, put them aside, put them away. And then what, they, what are we to desire? Well, that was last week's message. In chapter 2, verse 2, our desire, not just, we don't just desire this for the unbeliever, we desire it as believers. There is a, to be a longing like a baby longs for milk. Remember that? A baby cries, they have to have it. What does a believer have to have? The milk, the word of God. And above everything else that might go on this afternoon, I would very much encourage you to come on out. You say, I don't like cider. That's okay. Come on out and enjoy whatever the seniors are selling. And by the way, that's what it meant in the bulletin. The seniors will sell the food, is that what that was supposed to say. But uh, what, come on out for that, even if you don't like that. But as much as all those activities go on and things happen with the teens and the youth and all of these things, senior saints, the bottom line is we should always continuously be longing for, like a baby longs for milk, the word of God. Because, as we saw, not only will that lead to salvation, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but also that is what, according to the context, will help us to grow. That will help us to grow as believers in the Lord. We need the word of God. So we don't have devotions because somebody told us to have private devotions. If that's why you're having it, you're not going to grow. 
you're not going to learn. God will never have his word be void, and it will always convict, and it will always work, but your heart won't be in it. We had to long for the word of God. That's why we should want to be here today. Primarily, not even for the singing. The singing helps us, but it's really to long for what we're doing right now, and that is the word of God. And remember, we've experienced, verse 3, that's where we left off. We experienced and have tasted, if we are believers, conditionally, if we have come and trusted in him, since that is true, we have already experienced the kindness of God in our lives in taking us out of the life that we were in and bringing us into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where Peter has left off. Now he continues. That has been, if you will, as I tried to use the illustration since he's using a building, that has been the land, the, the ground. And now he gets actually into the building structure in verses 4 through 10. And that's what Peter is dealing with. And we will at least, I hope this morning, deal with verses 4 through 8. And then to let you know where Peter's going, after he's given them the understanding of the ground and what the building is like and who they are in Christ, because they are facing trials just like you and I are every day, be it physical, be it emotional, be it at work, be it at home, be it the spiritual struggles, or even persecution. And there are believers today that are dying in other parts of the world because of their testimony for Christ. He wants them to understand who they are in this building. And then beginning in chapter 2, verse 11 forward through the most of the rest of this book, Paul will be dealing with the practical outworking of that because of who we are as citizens of the kingdom of God. How do we respond to government? How do we respond to our jobs? How do we respond to our marriage relationship? And that's going to be primarily the remainder of the book through the trials that we face in all of these areas. So again, with that understanding, we go into today, the building. It is the household of God. Let me give you the outline for what I will be dealing with, and then we will just unpack it as Peter does for us here in this particular passage. What are we dealing with with the building? He's gonna deal with the cornerstone. He's moved from the property now into the actual structure, and he's gonna get right into the cornerstone who is going to be the living Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to get into the building blocks of the building. And who is that? Believers, living stones that make up the building. And we'll talk about that. And then he will get into the function in this particular passage of the living stones, basically as priestly people of God and how they are to function. Uh, now, I want to say something right away as I begin to unpack this passage, beginning in verse 4. Buildings themselves, like this structure that we are in, are normally not living organisms. And this might be very basic to you, but it's so important. Because when people talk about the church, still we think of structure all around the world. People are saying they're going to this church. Uh, uh, what is your church like? And they're thinking oftentimes, and they, they admire buildings. Buildings like that are not living organisms. They are just a structure in which, like this one, people are in. Okay? But when it comes to God's building, there's a very different distinction that we have to understand. God's building is a living organism. It's not like this building that we're sitting in. 
It is a living organism that is functioning and is made up of people. The other structure is just a place to meet so that when the snow comes in the winter, what a pleasant thought. For those that are skiers, it's a great thought. Okay, uh, when it's raining, uh, it's too sunny, we can come in and meet and so on. But God's building, don't ever lose sight of that, is a living organism. Everything about it, even in this passage, this is not just me speaking, I want you to understand it's really the context here. Everything about it is living. The word of God is living. Our savior is living. The people are living. And the church of Jesus Christ is all about life. And it's all about living for him. It's all about a living organism. But let's start into the text. First, we have the cornerstone. And that's what he's dealing with. And he talks about, and coming to him as a living stone, we'll expand that in a minute, and we'll see rejected by men, but choice of God. You come down and jump down a little bit. I already read the whole passage. You'll see that in verse 7, it talks about a cornerstone. In verse 6, it talks about a cornerstone. Let me just give a couple of things for that and then unpack the passage. What is a cornerstone? What is a foundation stone? And we need to understand that, not take it for granted. Usually, when we're talking about a foundation stone or a cornerstone, it is really, excuse me, dealing with the first and most crucial stone that's important to a building. And the reason is all others, stones are, in this particular case, wood and everything else that's put, it's all set in reference, excuse me, to that first stone that's laid. If that first stone is out of line, everything is out of line. That first stone determines position, it determines accuracy, it determines how straight the structure is going to be and how everything else is going to line up. It is the key and that's why it's kind of called the foundation stone and is called the cornerstone. And usually today in our society as things have developed down through the years, just to let you know, the cornerstone, when it's about to be laid, usually what happens is a big ceremony and people come and they dig the sand and whatever and there's this big ceremony that goes on. And if you drive around even through New England and other parts of the country or the world, you will see this, that somewhere on the structure, there is today a fancy stone that usually is engraved with all of the data as far as the date and maybe who the principals were or whatever, uh, to let you know that that is representing the key to how the structure even got there. And uh, what I found in some of my research, uh, even on the concept of a, a cornerstone, is that today it's not uncommon that a lot of them have a hollow section in it. Now, I didn't know this. Does anybody know what they put in that hollow section? Just curious. Somebody? A time capsule, that's right. And usually what happens is today with the, with the cornerstone, they put in a little time capsule that's related so that later on if the building is destroyed or they go back, <clears throat> they can see the crucial data that was informational in that structure coming into being. All of that, we're not here to be builders or learn carpentry or stonework and so on. But it's important to understand that that was the keystone and who is in God's building, who is the cornerstone? You know the answer to that. It is Jesus Christ. It is not a minister. It is not a pastor. It is not leadership. It is not the believers. 
It is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of God's building. And I want you to, before I turn a couple of verses on that, I want you to just see some very important things in this text. Number one, <clears throat> it is a person because if you look at verse 4, it says, and coming to him, pronoun. It is a person, again, we're dealing with an organism. It is a person. And I want you to see in that verse that he was chosen by God. But it is a choice and precious in the sight of God. This was God's choice. Man did not decide to make Jesus Christ the cornerstone. Wrong. It didn't just happen that people just, well, I think I'll follow this person, Jesus Christ, and make him the foundation, make him the cornerstone. Not at all. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was chosen by God. And it was part of God's eternal plan to send his only son to take on flesh like you and I have, according to Hebrews, because that was not common to him, to come into this world and provide the satisfactory work for the sin of man. That was all part of God's eternal plan. It was a person. He was chosen. He was precious in the eyes of God, the one that we sang about today, who before time came and world, God was there. Even as Jesus Christ said, before Abraham was, I am. Ego, me. I am. It was Jesus Christ who was there. So very important for us to understand. This is not man's devising religion. As we walk this world today, Christianity is just thought of as another religion. This is all about a person. This is all about an organism. This is all about a structure that is a living structure whose key to the whole thing is Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know Jesus Christ is the cornerstone? Let me just take you to a couple of verses. Go with me first to one Old Testament verse. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Now watch this. Behold, I, who's I? God. Remember? Chosen by God, precious. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly what? Cornerstone. Why? For the foundation, firmly placed, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. And I could expand the text in Isaiah, but we're going to see a little bit more to specifically identify this is Jesus Christ. The bottom line is God chose this stone. He laid it. It was the key to the whole building, and it is the cornerstone firmly placed, and it's going to relate to believing or disbelieving. And this was a picture of the Messiah to come, the one chosen of God. Is he ever identified? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll go to just two passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 11. Watch. Paul says in writing to the Corinthian church, 
For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's it. He is that foundation. You say that's a foundation. doesn't use the cornerstone. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 2. That's the second passage. Ephesians chapter 2. The foundation for this glorious structure, for this glorious organism, is the person of Christ. And to get right to the heart of the issue, I read this and said to you this morning that it would relate to our text. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul, in writing to the Ephesian saints, says this. Having been built, and by the way, let me go back to verse 19. So then, and we will get to this part of the living blocks of the stones, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Gentiles, for example, they did not have the law of God. They didn't have the covenants. They were aliens to it. But now he says, because of their belief, you are fellow citizens with the saints, and watch, in our God's household. You are part of God's structure. You are part of God's building. And he says this in verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, you say, well, it's them. We're not done. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the cornerstone, the starting point, the thing that would set everything else right in an order is Jesus Christ by God's selection. It was him. It is him that is the foundation of the church. The church is built on him. It is not even built on the apostles. You say, well, it says it's the foundation of the apostles. It is their teaching, the very thing that we ought to long for. The, the apostles and the prophets. So as the foundation got built, Jesus Christ was the cornerstone, and we rely on him, and we rely on the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. And that is what is taught throughout Scripture and in the New Testament. So the building of Jesus Christ, which is uh, the building of God, which is an organism that's living, is built upon the person of Jesus Christ, not upon any system not upon any religion. It is not about a club. When you come to church, even on Sundays and so forth, this has nothing to do with a club. It's got nothing to do with an organization. It's really got to do with an organism that is living. And the cornerstone is the person and his work, Jesus Christ, by God's selection. That was God's plan from eternity past that everything would be built on him. That is why when you come, for example, to the Gospel of John and you hear a verse that I quote many times and often to you, John 14, 6, Jesus with confidence can say, I am the way. You want to know how to get to heaven? You want to know how to get to the Father? Jesus Christ says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And then he expands on it by saying, there isn't anyone, no one, can come to the Father except through me or by him. He is the only means. He could confidently say that because before the foundation of the world, the path for God's organism and structure was that Jesus Christ was the cornerstone on him and no one else. You can trust in a lot of other people or religions. You will never get you to heaven. It will never take care of your sins. Only the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ has. We'll expand on that in a minute. But I want you to see also that he says in verse 4, in coming to him, I'll deal with the coming a little bit later, but he says, as to a living stone, 
Jesus Christ is alive, folks. In Matthew chapter 28, I won't turn there, but in verse 6, you remember we celebrated every Easter time or every Resurrection Sunday. What is it? That when they came to the grave, they knew, they said, I know you're looking for Jesus. He is not here. He has risen as he said he would. He is alive and he is alive forevermore. In fact, I give you another reference on that to look up on your own. Romans chapter 6. It says Jesus Christ was raised from the dead never to die again, verse 9. Because he lives forevermore. Hebrew says he lives and forever makes intercession. His blood is always cleansing. His work is always there. He is there at the right hand of the Father interceding for the saints now. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. The religions of this world are searching and coming behind people that are dead. Ours is the only one where the grave is empty. Ours is the only one, and someone raised that question, you think you're the only right religion? No. I think God's the only one who got it right. God had the plan. He sent the person. He's not interested in religion. He recognized that all men are sinners and come short of the glory of God. No man could save himself. And in his eternal plan, in his structure and building, he sent his son. And that is it. He's the cornerstone. And he suffered and died for our sin to pay the penalty and price, the mercy seat of God, to satisfy the righteousness of God. And he rose from the dead the third day, all according to the scriptures. And right now is at the right hand of the Father, living. We serve a living Savior. Not only is he a living Savior, but he's also the one that gives life. Go with me to John 6 for a second. That's going to be important as to why we'd go to him. Why would we go to You know, a lot of people are going to God in a general sense. You and I can go to our Savior. We can go before the throne of grace, the grace of God. Why? Because not only is he living, but he gives life. In John chapter 6, let's see, let's go down to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He gives life. And the bread which also which I give to him is for the life of the world, life of the world is my flesh. And if you were to go down through that passage, all the way down, he talked. They, they were confused about it. They thought they were talking about cannibalism. You get down to verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. See, he gives life. So when Peter is saying, uh, first of all, coming to him, who is the him? It's Jesus Christ who is a living stone. He is part of God's household. He is alive, and he is able to give life. And that's what leads into what he's about to say. Because he said, which has been rejected by men. And then as he goes on, however, there have been those who have believed in him. When you see it in verse 7. He gives us two categories of people. What are those categories? Those who reject God's cornerstone and those who believe and accept God's cornerstone. And it's difficult, and that's why man rejects. <clears throat> why? And he's going to deal with the Jews and the Gentiles in a second. But in verses 6 and 7, let me read them to you. It says, For 
This is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. This is Jesus Christ, who I just explained to you. He's the precious cornerstone. And here's the positive. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. In fact, he'll have eternal life. And this precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. The stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, which I'll expand on right now. But that stone is Jesus Christ. And what's the problem? As far as rejection, first of all, it's man's thinking. Man's thinking is that I can do something for salvation. Man's thinking that I'm okay. Man's thinking that we're generally good. Or that I can follow some type of religion. That's where the world goes. Some type of religion with a bunch of rules, and if I do that, hopefully some type of scale, I can get into the presence of God when I die. Or a man's thinking is I just die and there's nothing. And so it's hard for man to want to accept God's way. But God's way is that I offer salvation, I provide it, and the cornerstone to all of it is a person, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now in the context, for the Jews, this was a problem. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, first of all, though, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What is he talking about this rejecting and this stumbling? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Here we read, for the word of the cross, what is that? Well, we're talking about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, and I gave you a quick summary, but he didn't just stay a baby. He went to the cross of Calvary, and he died. Is foolishness, according to verse 18, to those who are perishing? To mankind, basically, that thought of a cross and a man being crucified or a man dying for someone else and that being payment to satisfy us and then bring us into God's building, into a right relationship with God, that thought is foolishness. For who? Those who are perishing, those who don't believe. But to us, that is believers, who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want to go on in this passage. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, how many through all of their wisdom and science and all of their philosophies can man ever come to God on their own? No one. It'll never lead them to a proper understanding of God. But God was well pleased, how? Through the foolishness of the message preached. What is the message preached? Jesus Christ coming, being the cornerstone. Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying and paying the penalty of sin, which is death. Eternal separation from God. He paid a, a, a price that would satisfy the righteous judgment of God. And what happens? That is foolishness to man. And it says as it goes on, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. Now here it is. For indeed, and this is related to our text, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, this is what Peter's talking about. It's a stumbling block. 
to the Gentiles, foolish, excuse me, foolishness. But again, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And when he's dealing with this stumbling block in the book of 1 Peter and he's dealing with this foolishness, what's he talking about? He's talking about this. The Jews examined, and that's really, if you look at the tense there and what they're dealing with in Peter, that's the idea. They examined it and they basically stumble over it. They examined Jesus Christ and they didn't want him. If you go through the gospel accounts, you'll see that over and over again. They saw his miracles. They saw the evidence of who he was. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They saw he fulfilled it. They examined it and their conclusion was this. Crucify him. That was their conclusion. Why? They were looking for a Messiah that basically would deliver them from the Roman governments, from the oppression of society that, was in, that they were living in. And listen, folks, there are people that are looking for a Savior that way today. They're looking for a Savior that will just deliver them from the pressure that goes on in the world or out of their social circumstances, and that's what they want. And they stumble over the, the, the concept or even the thought that it could be God's plan to send Jesus Christ, and he is the solution. But for the Jews who were supposed to know, Jesus did not fit. They did not see him as a suffering, sacrificial person that came into the world as a redeemer for the nation of Israel that way. And so they stumble over the concept of Jesus Christ, and they reject it. For the Gentiles, foolishness. I won't turn you to Romans, but Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear. It says, the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? They suppress the truth. That's what it says. Why? God has revealed himself even through creation so they can know the power of God. God reveals himself to man. But man takes that and professes himself to be wise. And then goes around, and you see this all over the world, and worships four-footed beasts and creeping things, makes the image of God, which is God who is holy, into that which is like man, which is unholy. That's what Romans says. It begins to worship the created being rather than the creator. And that's what man and Gentiles do. So for the Jew who had the word of God, they stumbled because, again, they made it a religion. For the Gentiles, the concept of somebody dying for somebody else, or they're just being one person, or God selecting, and it's only through Jesus Christ, and it's through a crucifixion, that is stupidity and foolishness until God opens the heart. And in 1 Peter, that's what he's saying. He's saying there's a living stone. He's been rejected by men, verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Rejected by men, but he was precious and chosen, chosen by God. That's who he is. He's a living stone that we come to. He's the cornerstone, verse 6 and 7. And yet he's a stone of offense, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense to those who are disobedient. And you know again, notice the end of verse 8. 
They are disobedient to the word, the very thing that we are to long for, the very thing that we are to desire, the very thing that God wants in believers to long so that we, what, know the truth and are separated even from all the error that's going on today in the world that you and I are living in. And understand that it is God's plan through the person of Christ. So he is accepted by believers. He is the one. That is why Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, whether it be the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Because to the Greek it's foolishness. To the Jew it's a stumbling block. But the power of the gospel changes the heart. Jeremiah puts it this way. The word of God is like a hammer that crushes a rock. It's like taking granite and just pulverizing it. That's what the word of God will do. So you and I might run across people who are the hardest people and will say they'll never come to Christ. Use the word of God. That sword that is able to penetrate into the thoughts and intents of the heart. You say that believer's never going to get back with the Lord walking the way they should. Use the word of God. You say, my walk is pretty good. Stay in the word of God. Long for it. It'll keep you from error. And I'm going to even get more practical in a moment. We need to see that we need the word of God. So people that believe, they are the building blocks. Let's move away from the cornerstone for a minute. To those who believe. Okay, what are you? Verse 5, so also as living stones and being built up as a spiritual house. See, there's the house. It's the house of God that is made up where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets' teaching is that foundation that's setting everything in order. And then as people are called into the church of Jesus Christ, as he is building his church, he calls people organisms people that are alive, and they become living stones, not dead stones, not like a structure here that's got no life to it. It's people. They are the building blocks. They are the ones. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 said, wasn't it? Go back there and take another look at it. It's worth doing. Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see it again because it ties into what Peter's saying here. Peter and Paul are on the same wavelength. They're saying the same thing. And I'll go back to 19 again. So then you, that is people, believers specifically, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Who are the saints? Not a bunch of canonized dead people. Saints are living people. You say, but some of them died. And they're still alive in the presence of God waiting for the resurrection of their body. We've had funerals here in the church. And people that have trusted in Christ, they are still alive. But those of us that are still here on earth, we are living people, saints. In our, let's go on, in our the household of God, having been built on that foundation, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole building, there's, the, there's that uh, illustration again. He says, the whole building being fitted together, you have been placed into the building right where God wants you. You know, that fair day, I'm, uh, that ministry fair day, I'm looking forward to that. Why? 
Because if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and he's got you in this local assembly, we all fit together. And 1 Corinthians makes it very clear. Not everybody's the eye, not everybody's the nose, not everybody's the foot. They use that body so we understand it. We know that. Aren't you glad I'm not walking around with 65 eyes? Aren't you glad you don't have 42 feet, you know, and so forth? But if your feet's not functioning, right, properly, you're not going to get anywhere. It hurts. When your back's not functioning, it affects the body, doesn't it? When you bang your head, I was with somebody yesterday, unfortunately, don't dwell on this, but unfortunately, it was with somebody, I was refereeing a game, it was a college game, and two people came and smashed heads, and one of them, it just opened up, and there was blood all over the place. It just, but not to get into that gory detail, but to say this, that person had to be taken, and it affected the whole person. They had to go to the hospital. Okay, what happened? One injury to one part of the body affected it. And what I'm trying to get at, it doesn't matter where we fit in, but we got to know where we fit in. And the ministries that are going on, God wants us in that body not to just be like the rest of the building, dead and not functioning. We're living stones that ought to be functioning and functioning together. That's what he says. And he says this, is growing we're growing. There's a sanctification process going on. A holy temple to the Lord in whom you also as being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Now we know the spirit of God indwells believers. And the idea is that the whole body is functioning in this illustration as a building as a living organism. Don't become like a structure that's got no life to it. So much of what's called Christianity today is functioning like it has no life. Uh, listen to Colossians for a moment. Colossians chapter 3. I'll read it to you. Quickly, I'll get there. Some of you that get computers are probably there already. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. He goes on with these other things. And why is he saying that? For you have died and your, your life is hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. And we're changing. And we're changing from glory to glory. It is real. We are living beings and part of the body of Christ. Why bring that out right now? Why is Peter talking to them who are suffering and he's saying, look at your coming uh, to this one who's the cornerstone and you're living stones and you're built up in, in a spiritual house. You know why? Because some people talk about getting saved and all they're trying to do is add Christ to what they had before. Listen carefully. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't coming out of one religion, listen carefully, and coming into another one. There are some people that come out of Protestant denominations, cults, other Roman Catholic denominations, and they come into Christianity and they treat it just like what they came out of. I went to church there, now I go to church here. I did a bunch of rules over there, now I do a bunch of rules over here. That's not Christianity. Christianity is that world is gone. 
I am coming to a living organism. I belong to Christ and I'm part of a living organism. It isn't tacking on another religion or now I play church like I played church before. If you do that, the only one you're deceiving is yourself. For some, because of that, well, it's coming to a living organism. And so the concept is, yeah, I was independent before and I thought like I didn't accept all of that, but now I've come to Christ and now I'm independent of everybody else. That's not Christianity either. And there are those that are going around professing Christianity and they are just disconnected from everybody and no function whatsoever in the living organism. That's not Christianity. That's not what the body of Christ is. If it's real, if you have become a believer and you're a living stone, first of all, you are attached to the building, which means you're attached to Jesus Christ. He owns you. The scriptures put it this way. You've been bought with a price. He owns everything about you. If you are just tagging on to a busy life, I'm a Christian, you're probably not. Because a true Christian knows just like the one who prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I had nothing. I had the world, I was lost in sin, and Jesus Christ has purchased me. Lord, here am I, like Isaiah said, send me. My life is not my own. We sing that song and we live like we don't mean it. Christianity is a convenience to some people. I belong to Christ. Secondly, I need the word of God. We've learned that from Peter. If you're going to go on and say, I, I'm a believer, I believed in Christ, and you don't read the word of God, I've told you many times, and, and my newest grandchild, I, I see it uh, because she's an infant, and I've seen some others that have been born recently in this church. A baby absolutely cries. They have to have the word of God or they won't grow. They won't live. And there are people that are saying, I belong to Christ. When's the last time you read the word? Six months ago. Are you kidding? Well, I'm tired of having devotions. You know what? You're probably having them because you were told to have them. But a baby doesn't have to be told to long for milk. They cry for it. They have to have it. And a believer is going to want milk. A believer is also connected to the other living stones. And that means two things. Universally, there are believers in China that I won't meet until glory. Thailand. I've been over to Thailand. I've been over to Germany. Uh, we, we talked about the Ramirez. I went down in, to the Uruguay and Argentina area to visit some of the missionaries. There are people that I met over there I had never met before. I was attached to them. They are part of the same body. But also, folks, that's what this is all about. What? Also, when you come to Christ as living stones, Christ is still building up his church, and the local church has a place. Not to play games like religion before. God designed a local church. That's why you had Ephesus. You had uh, Colossae. You had the churches throughout Galatia. You had the Corinthian church. You had the church at Rome. It was a place that people could come together who were living stones to fellowship together, to enjoy one another. How can you stay away from that? If you're part of the organism, you can't. You have to be a part of it. 
Now we have to live in this world, but that's the joy. That's where we can be thankful. That's where we can rejoice together. When I come together and I see your face, honestly, and I see you, I'm rejoicing. When I hear someone get saved, when I hear someone get baptized, someone's getting married, they're going on with Christ, someone's serving in this capacity, serving in that capacity, it's a joy because it's part of us working together for the glory of God. And yet we're living in a, in a day and age in which there, there is so much profession of faith and so much that's saying they're living stones and they want nothing to do with the word of God. They want nothing to do with the local assembly. They want nothing to do, or they're coming in and they want a bunch of rules. Christianity is not a bunch of rules. I'll be honest with you, unfortunately, many times Christians have made it a bunch of rules because we like a bunch of rules. God will change us. And in this context, what he's saying, look, We've come to a living person, and we are living stones, and we ought to be involved in something. I wanted to spend a little bit more time, but let me just tell you this. When it says, I said I'd come back to it, in verse 4, in coming to him, that's a present participle. There's a little bit more to it than that, but I wanted to say it for this. Initially, if you're here and you haven't yet come to Christ, I'm going to tell you this. Bottom line is, he is the only way. The only provision that God has for salvation, for the payment of the sins of man, is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was in the book of Matthew, I think it was chapter 11, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's gentle in spirit. But here's the key. You will find rest. Does anybody remember what it says? For your souls. How will you be at peace with God? How will you know God? only in coming through the living one that was the cornerstone and believing on him. The Lord Jesus Christ said, come to me. Come and trust in him for salvation. What about believers? That's a continuous tense. He said basically this, keep on coming to him. We can come to him, to Christ, when we're in trials, when we're in tribulations, when there's persecution, when things are going well. That's the idea. We should be coming to him because he's a living stone. This isn't some imaginary person we pray to, some imaginary person we come to, but we should be continually coming to him. And by the way, that's what the book of Hebrews, and I have them down. I give them to you for time's sake. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, and they'll be on the disc. And chapter 10, verse 22, all use this same verb. In all of those three texts, people debate on what the book of Hebrews means. Bottom line is it says this, we can continually keep coming to him. This is a living stone. And we need to for growth. Why? Because our function is to act in verse 5 to offer up spiritual sacrifices. What is that? Well, probably the quickest way to give it to you is two texts and we'll close. Go with me quickly to Hebrews chapter 13. Since I mentioned that, we'll go there first. It's right nearby. And we'll talk more about the priesthood, Lord willing, next time. But Hebrews chapter 13, let's pick it up in verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify a people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city 
which is to come. Through him then, here it is, let us continually offer up, here's the sacrifices, praise to God. When's the last time you praised the Lord? Don't answer out loud. I don't mean just said the words praise the Lord, but really from your heart, thank God for what he's doing. That is the fruit of lips. What? The giving of thanks to his name. What should flow out of the heart of a believer continuously? You know, Pastor Chris was right. What you hear, not, I'm not talking just believers. Throughout society is complaints, complaints, complaints. That's all you ever hear. Everything's wrong at work. Everything's wrong with school. Everything's wrong with my health. Everything's wrong with the United States of America. Everything's wrong with our government. Everything's wrong with my friends. Everything's wrong with everybody but me. On the life, on, excuse me, on the lips of believers should be a continuous flow of something else. Everything's right because of what God's done. I'm thankful that I have eternal life. I'm thankful I have the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that I have children that love the Lord. I'm thankful I have a spouse that's faithful. I'm thankful. We ought to be. Here's a challenge for the week, okay? You go this week and start to make a personal list for you of the very things that you can be thankful for, what God's given you, and what he's doing in your life. It'll change your whole outlook. Folks, the cornerstone of the building is Jesus Christ. The structure is made up of living beings. It's an organism, not a structure. We need one another because we are working together in the building of Christ. And as God's brought us here in this local church, let us offer up continuously, individually, and collectively words of thanks and praise to him. We'll expound a little bit more on the fact that we are a chosen people now, a royal priesthood, and what a privilege it is that we can go right before the throne of grace. Nobody else to have to be there to go for us. You don't need Pastor Dan. You can go there yourself. Isn't that a joy? You ought to be thankful for that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your love and grace. I thank you for the Apostle Peter and, uh, Lord, the inspiration of the Word of God and using that man to record, to encourage believers. They were facing life and death situations. But he reminded of them how they were to love one another, the things that they needed out of their life reminded them that they needed the word of God and reminded them that they were serving a living savior who was the cornerstone and that they were living stones, part of the building of God. <clears throat> and they needed to be encouraged by that. And Father, as they needed to give thanks, help us to be from our lips giving thanks always for all things that you've done. If there be in our presence those who have not trusted in Christ and may be stumbling <clears throat> because of religion in their life, maybe think the gospel is foolishness because <clears throat> it doesn't make sense. I pray that you'd open up their heart and their eyes so that they might truly come to the Lord Jesus Christ as they are laden down by man's philosophy and their own thinking. Might they come and have peace in their heart and peace with you as they come to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe on him. Thank you for this time together. We pray you'd guide us and help us to be thankful throughout the week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I encourage you to come on out this afternoon and join us if you can.